is going on people welcome to another episode of clutch pod as always i'm your host ab don't forget to follow us on insta and on twitter at clutch underscore pod this is episode 34 of the podcast right about now the season's well and truly wrapped up um so we're just gonna go through the final day results and the permutations of those results that is for the premier league segment and in the nba segment we're going to be discussing life in the nba bubble in orlando so yeah season's done i can't lie i did not think we'll make it this far once the lockdown began in what was it mid-march i didn't think we'll make it this far i thought they were going to avoid the season but they found a way to work around it so big up the premier league board all richard masters and them man for letting us enjoy this premier league season albeit it was behind closed doors, but they done their best. Obviously, Sky Sports added the crowd noise and whatnot. Um, for me, it was pretty much enjoyable. Obviously, with the fans, it would have been even better, but due to the circumstances, that wasn't possible. But yeah, it was still an enjoyable eight or so games. So we're going to start off with the Premier League results on that final day. Obviously, all the games kicking off at the same time, 4pm. It was a madness. I had only had two games on, but I was switching between all the channels. They had they had Crystal Palace Spurs on, on Sky Sports Golf and that. Like, it, it was brazy. So, we're going to start off with, obviously, the champions. Liverpool taking on Newcastle at St. James's Park. And Liverpool did end up winning. They won 2-1. They did take the lead, Newcastle, after, like, 24 seconds. Dwight Gill... He's one person who I would say the lockdown has benefited because ever since they've been playing behind closed doors, he's been banging in goals here and there still. Obviously, he's finding it hard to really acclimatise to playing in the Premier League. He's one of them players, yeah, he's elite in the Championship, but he can't really make that step up in the Premier League. Like A lot of strikers have faced that fate over their careers. You've got guys like Jermaine Beckford, man like Anthony Knockhart, now I'm Dwight Gale, but he's been banging in goals. Hopefully, he'll be good for Newcastle because they do need um, a real influx of goals. Obviously, they brought back Andy Carroll, but he ain't really been scoring goals for them. And they spent £40 on Joe Linton, who scored like two goals this season. So that's one area um, Newcastle really needs to improve. We're still yet to see whether or not this proposed Arab takeover will take place. I mean, it's been dragging on for a long time, so I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, Steve Bruce doesn't even really know what's happening. So it's really an un, un, unsettling time for Newcastle fans because they don't know. They could end up with flipping Cavani <laughs> next transfer window or they could end up with, I don't even know, some like Serie B striker who was banging goals in that league. So it, it really varies. Obviously, Liverpool brought it back Van Dijk scoring a header he's banged in five goals this season still that's solid he scored him he scored more goals than certain strikers and then Divock Origi coming off the bench doing what he does putting the three points in the bag for Liverpool so they matched Man City's win record in the league for 32 um so yeah it was a solid season for Liverpool obviously winning the Premier League Jurgen Klopp was also announced he won LMA manager of the season Personally, I don't know if it's my Man United bias, but I would have given it to Chris Wilder still. Although, obviously, what Klopp did achieve with Liverpool was kind of mad winning their first league in 30 seasons. Even last season, when they got, like, 95 points, it was. They they were just narrowly missed the title. Like, the last two seasons, they've been elite. So, I don't really blame them for giving Klopp manager of the season. But what Chris Wilder done with that Sheffield United team was crazy. Literally, everyone thought they were going to get relegated. I remember doing a pod pre-season preview. I said, yeah, they're going to finish 20th. 
Like they're not gonna they're not gonna fight relegation. They're just gonna finish rock bottom. So yeah, they ended up finished. They were even battling for Champions League at one point. It's crazy. And when you think about the money they spent, like most of that team, they played in the Championship last season. Got your Stevens at the back, Lundstrom, man like Billy Sharp coming off the bench. Like all these guys are all Championship players. So for them to achieve that. It's, it's a real, real achievement. So, yeah, big up Chris Wilder anyway. Obviously, the challenge for them now is to see if they can build on that, try to avoid relegation next season as well. And, yeah, they'll they'll be flying high. So, moving on to other games. Um, at the London Stadium, West Ham played Aston Villa. Aston Villa knew that they had to at least get a result if they wanted to stay up. That game against Arsenal the week before, when they got that victory, really, really helped them. Man, like Chesagay banging in the winner. So, yeah, they know what they needed to do. They also needed to make sure that Bournemouth didn't win when they played Everton or Watford needed to lose to Arsenal at the Emirates. So, yeah, in the end, they ended up drawing 1-1. Let me just say Jack Grealish, yeah. That guy, they need to build a statue for him outside Villa Park, fam. They need to build a statue for him and rename one of them stands to the Jack Grealish stand because that guy came in clutch, bruv. He scored the um, opening goal for them to ease the fears it was late in the second half as well at the time they thought that they were getting the three points which would guarantee them Premier League survival but he went the other end and scored their own goal <laughs> so I thought he wrapped it in it but at the end of the day the Villa did um they did survive so yeah it was it was a great result for them obviously they were in the relegation zone for a long time this season so for them to in the end avoid relegation is fair play on them um, their manager Dean Smith did come under a lot of criticism but um, he's Villa through and through that's the thing about that team that team's a family obviously Jack Grealish grew up a Villa fan the manager's Villa fan as well so you can tell like the passion and how much it, mean, it meant to them for them surviving so yeah obviously there's a lot of rumours around Jack Grealish's future as well he's in heavy link to United and moving to other like top six clubs um, they did ask him after the Arsenal game whether or not that um, was his last home game at Villa. And he said, listen, I don't know, innit? It's up in the air. And you know when a player that plays for your team says that, it's never good news, bruv. When he says he doesn't know, yeah? <laughs> just take that as he's leaving because it's just, it's just peak, bruv. But yeah, I'm sure Villa would want to keep hold on to him because obviously he is their captain. And even if he is to go, they're going to demand like crazy money. You know, because he's English as well. When the bias kicks in, him alone being English as like 25 mil on top of how much he's worth. So he might be going for like 70 million. And if I'm a manager, I ain't paying 70 mil for Jack Grealish. But if he does end up coming at United, I ain't going to complain. And it's not coming out of my account. But yeah, I do feel like there is a role for him at United. Even though we have Bruno and Pogba in terms of creativity, we really need to add squad depth. I'll come on to United when we discuss their game against Leicester anyway. But yeah, so Villa ended up surviving. So with Villa drawing against West Ham, that meant that um, Watford needed to beat Arsenal by like a crazy goal swing. And in the end, that didn't happen. Watford ended up getting relegated. They lost 3-2 to Arsenal at the Emirates. They went 3-0 down. I thought it was going to get messy. I'm talking like 5, 6, maybe even 7. But they showed a bit of... They showed some oomph <laughs> by um, banging in two goals. Obviously, Warbeck scoring against his former side. And Trey Deeney scoring from the spot. Trey Deeney, yeah? That guy, every time he takes penalties, yeah? It's never finesse. It's never a little place into the corner or something humble. He just packs it, bro. Look at Trey Deeney's last five penalties, yeah? It's probably even more than that. But the last five that I've watched, he just head down, smashes it, bro. And they always go in. 
But yeah, trading from the spot is literally just head down, smash the ball as hard as he can. Wherever it goes, it goes. If it goes over the bar, then so be it. If he goes in, then it's good, isn't it? I feel for Dini as well because I feel like um, over the past couple of weeks and that since his lockdown, I've watched like, a few interviews of him. And just one of those guys, yeah, he just he's just real, isn't it? Like, wears his heart on his sleeve, just says it how it is. Like, there's no sugar in anything. Like, he just kept keeps it so real. So, yeah, obviously he's been through a lot of, like, um, I wouldn't say trauma, but a lot of setbacks in his career as well. And I guess this is one of them, him going back down into the championship. But I have no worries. I have no doubts that he'll tear up the championship still. Obviously, Watford captain, he's, he's only 32. So he's still got a few years in him. I feel like with the right investment, Watford can find their way back up. But the way that team is set up, yeah, in terms of ownership down, it's just a mess because they went through four managers this season. They started with Javi Grazia. He got sacked after a few games. They brought back K. Sanchez Flores for like, I don't even know how long, but he was just atrocious. Then they brought in Nigel Pearson, who they sacked two days before the end of the season. I don't really understand why you'll sack your manager. Two games. Yeah, um, they ended up sacking Nigel Pearson two games before the end of the season. I don't understand why they would do that, um, especially that close before the end of the season. And the fact that they were actually decent while he was there. I think it was... Um, he had an argument with like the owners or something like that, but there's no way they sacked him because of performances on the pitch. That's what I feel anyway. So now they're looking for another manager and they're in the championship. So yeah, it's just, it's just a bad situation all round. And they actually have a lot of talent. I don't want to say they didn't deserve to go down, but that squad in terms of um, like names, they don't deserve to go down. When you've got guys like Ismail Assad, they brought him in from Ren. He's He's been a baller still. They got Gerard De La Feu, obviously he was injured. He missed like the rest of the season. I think he tore his ACL or something like that. You got your Dini's, Abdoulaye Dekore. Like they've got a good team. Ben Foster's a solid goalkeeper for Premier League standards. So yeah, it's really unfortunate. But like I said, they got the quality to bounce back up. And I think they got the heart and desire and the leadership in Troy Dini for them to bounce back. But yeah, they did end up losing 3-2. Bamiyang scored two goals. He ended up runner-up for Golden Boot. With 22 goals, he was breathing down Vardy's neck, but he couldn't get the third goal, which would tie him for Golden Boot. Obviously, he won Golden Boot last year with Mane and... What's the other one? I don't know if it was Salah. But yeah, he scored 22 goals last year. So the main thing for Arsenal, they need to try and keep Aubameyang. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they need to throw him a bag. I don't think they want to, though, because of his age. Obviously, he's 31, and the money he will ask for will probably be crazy especially when they still got Urzel on their books for 350k a week so that's going to be something that they need to sort out um, I also heard that they're in talks to sign Willian from Chelsea apparently that'll be like a free agent signing because Willian's contract is coming to an end so I don't know how that will work but the main thing for Arsenal I think they need to sort out their defence because they, they, David Luiz, Mustafi, those are not guys that can you can help challenge for top four when you got them at the back. Um, I mean, he had a crazy display in the FA Cup, display in the FA Cup against against Man City. But other than that, he hasn't really been he hasn't really been solid this season. So they need to try splash the peas on 
capable defenders so that they can try and find their way into the European places, which is where they belong. Because finishing eighth, that's what the Arsenal I knew growing up. The Arsenal I knew growing up were challenging for titles. They were challenging for uh, major honours. So, yeah, it's really disappointing from an Arsenal point of view. But in a way, you can see what Arteta is trying to do with this team. I mean, they had a great result against Man City in the FA Cup. Um, we just have to wait and see if they can clinch the cup in the final against Chelsea. Obviously, that will grant them a Europa League place. Whether or not Arsenal fans want that, travelling Thursday nights, playing Sundays, I don't know. But they just need to try and be in a European competition at least because you want to play in Europe if you're a team of that size. So, yeah, uh, moving on to the other games on Sunday. Bournemouth, they started the day in 19th. They knew that it was it was, it was was a backs against the wall from the beginning if they were going to try and survive in the Premier League. Eddie Howe, I feel for him, man, because what he done with that Bournemouth side in the four or five years they were in the Premier League was an amazing job. Obviously, limited budget. You look at the team, they don't really have that star. They they had a lot of hit and miss signings. You talk about guys like Jordan Ibe, Dominic Solanke's only started scoring goals now and he, they paid like, what, 20-odd mil for him. So players like that, like and the way the team's built as well, is it was really hard for them to really try and stay up. But they did try to put up a fight. They beat Everton 3-1 at Goodison. They did take the lead, just King converting a penalty. Dominic Solanke got on the score sheet as well. And then Moise Keane brought one back for Everton. But yeah, in the end, it was just too much to ask for on the final day. They ended up getting relegated. Um, and obviously, some of their players now are being linked with top four clubs. You got clubs. You got Nathan Ake, who's probably gonna leave at the end of the season. Ryan Fraser didn't even bother coming back from <laughs> from when um, the Premier League resumes because he wanted to find a big move. So yeah, I know a lot of Bournemouth fans. They were angry at him. They 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 wanted him to try and like fight so they could try to survive. But um, at the end of the day, he had his own like personal goals at the at the forefront of his thoughts because he just thought that if he was to get injured, it would mess up his bag. And in a way, I hear that. I respect that. You can't really blame players for thinking of themselves before the team because when it comes to selling you or when it comes to like benching you and things like that, the, the managers, they don't have your first thoughts at heart. They just think that, they just think for the team. So I can't really blame man for thinking that way. I just have to wait and see where Ryan Fraser does end up going because I haven't really heard his name been ringing around in transfer rumours so yeah Bournemouth do end up going down alongside with Norwich who we knew were going down from the get-go and also and also Watford the other things that needed to be sorted out on the final day was Champions League qualification so Man United somehow <laughs> somehow started off the day in third Chelsea were fourth and Leicester were in fifth Leicester needed to beat United in order to qualify for the Champions League and United needed only a point. United ended up beating Leicester 2-0. It was a very cagey performance. I predicted it though because of what was on the line and the huge stakes for the game. But yeah, um, they won a penalty, their 14th penalty of the season. The most penalties in Premier League history by a single team. And I see a lot of people complaining. Look, I can't lie yeah. It's not even me being biased. But most of these penalties, they're stonewall penalties like... How, you can't foul man like that in the box, bruv. You know the ref is going to give a penalty. The one penalty that was dubious, I can't lie, was the one against Villa when Bruno was fouled in the box. That that was kind of boogie. I put my hands up in it. I can't lie. But at the end of the day, it is where it is, isn't it? Like, don't blame us. you got to blame VAR. So, yeah, United winning 2-0. Jesse Lingard scoring his first goal in, like, two years in the last minute of the game. It's just... 
crazy. A lot of people were saying that this might be Lingard's final game as a United player. Obviously, he's been through a torrid time, really. A lot of off-the-field um, incidents have been happening. So that's why I haven't really been criticising him as much. As much because his performance on the pitch, it hasn't been good enough. But he's not the only one. I feel like he's been scapegoated. Guys were forgetting there was a time where our midfield three was Pereira, Fred and McTominay. And we were getting bapsed by Newcastle. Like, we went through a lot this season. It feels like like we've, we had two different seasons. It was pre-Bruno and post-Bruno. Post-Bruno, that's the team that's challenging for top four, probably even titles. That's the way he was playing, like, out of the blocks when the season resumed. Pre-Bruno, that's the team that's battling, like, mid-table. Like, we're, we're backing Newcastle and Brighton and them man in the table. So, yeah, um, I don't know how Oli managed to do it, but he somehow did. He guided us to a third-place finish in his first full season as manager. And listen, I've been one of the first guys to criticise that guy. I've been screaming Oli out for a while. But I can't lie, i got to hand it to him. I mean, recruitment... The signing of Bruno Fernandes was key. He scored eight goals and seven assists since he came in January. And that's one of the greatest returns for a January signing. Not even just in Premier League history, but like in general. So yeah, big up him. Um, obviously Pogba's come back. He's been able to do his thing. A lot of pressure has been eased off of him. So yeah, we march on now into the Champions League. The next, the next thing for us is to try to sort out our defence. And also, we've got to try to pursue Sancho. But the way this club has been with marquee signings over the years, the way we like to drag it out, I, I just don't know why. Like, it takes so long. The Paul Pogba saga took so long. Took over, like, three weeks. Harry Maguire took over a month last season. Even Bruno, we weren't meant to sign him in January. He was meant to come in the summer. But we just procrastinated for so long, and we ended up getting him in January. Who knows where we could have been if we um, got him in, in the summer. Probably would have been the same because I don't think we would have challenged Man City and Liverpool. But yeah, that's the next step for Oli and for United in general. We need to try and close the gap between Liverpool and Manchester and Manchester City because the way those two teams are set up in terms of playing styles and talent, we need to try and compete with them because that's the Man United I know. We're challenging for trophies, challenging for titles because Champions League qualification is cool, but we, we need to stop getting carried away because that's not the goal. Like We, we don't want to lower our standards to becoming a Champions League team, like just qualifying for the Champions League. So yeah, that's the United point of view. As for Leicester, it's been disappointing for them still because at Christmas, I think there was like a 15-point gap between them and the Europa League places, and they've managed to blow that gap. I believe one of the main causes for that was the fact that the restart really hurt them. The fact that no fans, the fact that um, behind closed doors, I think that hurt them because, you know, Leicester, it gets jumpy at the KP Stadium. So they didn't really have the fans there to, like, lift them up. So they really suffered some gut-wrenching defeats. I think that defeat against, was it Sheffield United? When they lost, no, when they lost to Bournemouth, when Soyuncu got sent off, that, that's when I knew that they're, they're just going to bottle it. And it's such a shame because the football they were playing before this lockdown was great. I mean, Vardy was firing on all cylinders. Ayozzi Perez was even chipping in with a couple goals. You got your Yuri Tielemans as well. Their defence looked solid with Sonyonchu at the back. Chilwell, you got Ricardo Pereira. But yeah, it's unfortunate, but they will be playing Europa League football. I guess it's not the worst thing for them. I mean, if you told Leicester City fans at the beginning of the season, you're going to play Europa League football, I think they'll take that. But it's just that the dreams that they were sold throughout the season, thinking, yeah, they're going to solidly finish in top four and ended up in Europa, that's what's probably going to be disappointing for them. But at the same time, it's a European competition, isn't it? So I think there'll, there'll be a problem in the Europa League. They just need the investment. 
they've also got players that top four teams are heavy. You're looking at Ben Chilwell has been linked with a move to Chelsea. Another young English talent. So, you know, the price tags are going to be crazy. I feel like that would be a solid signing for Chelsea because left back is one of the areas they need to really try and address. They got Marcus Alonso there at the moment, but I don't think that's the guy that Frank Lampard wants long term. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. You already know Chelsea love to splash the cash. Since we're talking about them, might as well discuss their game on the final day. So, they know they needed a positive result against Wolves and they just they just beat them down still. I just... <laughs> it's because United needed a favour from Wolves, yeah? Well, they didn't really need it. It would have been helpful for them because they won anyway. But as that was like an emergency option. But Wolves just told them, listen, you're on your own, man. Chelsea beat them down. It was a um, convincing result, 2-0. Two goals just before half-time. Mason Mount curling and a free kick. And Giroud getting on the score sheet as well. Poor defending by Wolves. I would have expected better from Conor Cody to defend that. But Giroud got on the score sheet. And he's another player that's having a little mini renaissance at Chelsea. He's He started to score more goals. Like Giroud's one of those guys, yeah. I don't really know how to explain. He's just an impact guy. He scores good goals at good times. Like, this is just something about... He's not the guy that you would expect to bang, like, 25 goals in a season. But his solid 15 to 18 goals he might score if he's starting regularly will really help your team. Like, like you see the impact of his goals. Like, certain man, yeah? Like, Lukaku last season, this guy scored 27 goals for us United, yeah? Up to this date, I can't believe it. Because where did them goals take us, bruv? I don't know where or how those goals took helped us at all apart from that palace game when he scored two and we look and we won like three two or something like that so yeah it's rude he just scores the right type of goals and he's he's a guy that you want in your team as a solid backup so big up him for his little renaissance that he's having at chelsea obviously it was heavily linked with a move in january because he was out of favor with lampard but i feel like lampard will want to keep him around for next season because he could play a vital role as for Chelsea-wise, their transfer window is looking very promising. They've already brought in Timo Werner from RB Leipzig. And they brought in Hakim Ziyech from Ajax. Those are two solid signings, attack-minded signings. And in the last couple of days, they've been heavily linked with Kai Havertz off by Leverkusen. So much so that apparently, apparently, personal terms have been agreed. They're just waiting to... Um, they're just waiting to finalise an actual transfer fee with them. So I wouldn't be too surprised if they get that over the line soon. But that's another team like Arsenal. I feel like they need to adjust their defence as well because their defence this season has been very, very poor. So much so that I don't even think Frank Lampard knows what his best centre-back pairing is. Because one minute it's um, Christensen and Rudiger. Then it's Tomori, who's been out injured for a while. But Tomori's getting a look in. Then it's Aspilicueta filling in at centre-half. Like I don't even know who Chelsea's centre best centre-back is. So I feel like they just need a commanding centre-back to fill in that hole. Another goalkeeper. They need a goalkeeper. I think Lampard's lost all faith in Kepa. He was even benched for this game against Wolves. They started 38-year-old Willy Caballero. And if that don't say that you're, <laughs> you're done as a keeper, then I don't know. So Kepa... His days are probably numbered. The most expensive goalkeeper in the world, by the way. They paid 72 million, by the way. But because it's Chelsea and not United, you, you don't really hear that, innit? So I'm just throwing that out there. So yeah, Chelsea into the Champions League as well, finishing fourth. That's a great achievement for Frank Lampard in his first full season as manager as well. 
considering the fact that they had a transfer ban and they played a lot of youth, like Mason Mountem, Abraham really had his breakthrough season in the Premier League. Billy Gilmore played a couple games, looked very good against Liverpool. Yeah, Reese James at right back. So yeah, the the fact that they're promoting youth and also making the top four, that's a good sign for Chelsea. And you know when Abramovich is seeing that, he's going to fork out the cash still because he's seen that motivation that he needs. Big up Chelsea and Frank Lampard for that smooth top four finish. Just going to move on to the other games of the season. Just going to discuss them briefly before we move on to the NBA segment. Tottenham secured Europa League football by drawing 1-0 at Selhurst Park. Harry Kane getting on the score sheet, putting them in the lead before Jeffrey Schlupp salvaged a point for the Eagles. So yeah, Jose Mourinho back in the Europa League. He's been in there twice, won it twice. His third time, is he going to make it free for free in the Europa League? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it's been a disappointing campaign for Spurs. Obviously, they had that managerial change with Pochettino being sacked after reaching the Champions League final. Only last season, by the way. It was only last season. He was relieved of his duties. Mourinho came in. Daniel Levy wanted a serial winner. Try to get that silverware. Because Lord knows it's been, boy, so long since Spurs last won a trophy. So yeah, if I'm Spurs, I'm going all out for Europa League next season. And you know how Mourinho gets when it's trophies as well. He's going he's gonna to absolutely go for Europa League. Mourinho with a trophy on the line? Listen, that guy, that guy gloats when it's the... <laughs> community shield lord knows how he will react if he wins a europa league but yeah i respect it though because in a way you really have to go for whatever competition you're in man a lot of stories have been floating around saying harry kane what's he gonna do he said in an interview that he wants to be challenging for titles and winning trophies and he feels like he can't do that at spurs he's gonna leave and he did finish sixth this season this this and that I think, personally, he's going to try to give Mourinho time to see what he's going to do with the squad, isn't it? Because he's only now he's starting to put his imprint into the team. So, we'll wait and see. It's going to be a big summer for them. Need to see how they're going to try to improve their squad to challenge for top four next season and maybe like an FA Cup or something like that. So, yeah, that's what I believe Spurs need to do. Oh yeah, let me quickly adjust the Wolves situation. So Wolves finished the season in 7th. They will only qualify for the Europa League if Chelsea win the FA Cup. Because if Arsenal win the FA Cup, obviously they go into the Europa League. If Chelsea win the FA Cup, since they already got a Champions League place, Europa League place goes to whoever finished 7th in the league. So that would be Wolves. So Wolves will be rooting for Lampard's boys to get the job done. FA Cup final is this Sunday. So yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Moving on to the other games on Sunday. Southampton ended the season brightly with a 3-1 win against Sheffield United. Listen, one guy who, who's vexed that the season's ended now, who risked the season would extend by like five or six more games, is Che Adams. Because that guy, yeah, last couple of games, he's been really, really impressive. Ended his long, long goal drought against... Was it against City? Broke his goal drought against Man City. And now he scored two on the final day. To bring his tally to four goals this season, I believe. So, yeah, his confidence will be uplifted right now. So, in a way, I feel for him that the season's ended. Because as a striker, trust me, when you get that first goal, that's a real confidence builder. Trust me, like, like you get motivated to score more goals. And the fact that he's been scoring more goals, I just hope he can pick up right where he left off next season. But yeah, Danny Ings also getting on the score sheet. Listen, Danny Ings, solid, solid season. Fantastic season for Danny Ings. I've been really, really impressed with him. One of my favourite players in the league. 
he really set all doubters wrong. I mean, he had a poor spell at Liverpool. He didn't really fit in. He's made this move now to Southampton and he's been scoring goals left, right and centre. A really, really impressive campaign for him. 22 goals this season. Third highest in the league. Tied with, no, joint second highest in the league with Aubameyang. So yeah, big up Danny Ings, man. What I do feel for him though, this is the reason why. Euro 2020 was meant to be the season, yeah? And the way his form was... I feel like he would have got a call-up by Gareth Southgate to, to the England squad. Because the way he was banging in goals, I feel like he really would have. Especially considering the fact that before this lockdown thing, yeah, Harry Kane was injured. He was potentially going to be a last-minute decision for the Euros, yeah. I know they would have forced... He would have played anyway because it's Harry Kane. Marcus Rashford, same situation. So... England really needed a striker at that current moment in time. And the only guy, the only guy that was banging in goals, yeah, frequently was Danny Ings. So we just have to wait and see what's going to happen for Euro 2021. Obviously, it's next year. Have to wait and see what's going to happen. Because when you got guys like Mason Greenwood, who was banging in goals this season, the first teenager to score double digits in the Premier League since Waza, Wayne Rooney. So, yeah, he's going to be knocking on the door for England play. So, it's really going to be sticky still. That's the way I feel for Danny Ings. They beat Southampton 3-1. Johnny Lundstrom getting one goal back for the Blades. As I said earlier, Chris Wilder, my manager of the season, solid, solid season for um, Sheffield United, just finished outside the Europa League position, five points. But yeah, if you told Sheffield United fans at the beginning of the season you're going to finish eighth, they'll tell you you're lying. So yeah, big up Sheffield United, man. Big season for them. Hopefully they can get some investment into the team, sorry, because you'll know managers, you can only do so much as a manager. We've seen this with Eddie Howe. This is the best scenario you could have like the manager can do so much to the team but you need investment you need to get bodies in you need to spend the money because if you don't spend the money your time in the premier league will be limited bournemouth i feel like bournemouth could have done a lot could have stayed in the premier league a lot longer if they just had the more investment because you could see what eddie howe was doing with the team moving on to the other games let's just wrap them up quickly before we move on to the nba segment manchester city demolished norwich 5-0 at the etihad Kevin De Bruyne, listen, that guy, that guy is different gravy, mate. Different, different gravy. Different quality. Banged in two goals. One of them. Listen, he's just trying. He just trains with them. Like it's just practice for him, bro. If he just said, "Yep, I'm gonna pick my spot in the top right hand corner. Keeper ain't gonna get nowhere near it, and I'm gonna score this goal." And that's exactly what happened. He scored two. Sterling, Raheem Sterling, best goal scoring campaign of his career. Twenty goals this season. Solid. Riyad Mahrez getting on the score sheet as well, and Gabriel Jesus opening the scoring for the seasons. So, yeah, Norwich, awful, awful season. Sad way to go out. They did beat Man City in the re in the um, reverse fixture early in the season. 3-2, crazy game. But, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a sad campaign. They're getting back down into the championship. Daniel Falker's men. It's, it's just unfortunate. It's just the way football is. But, yeah, as for Man City, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with next season. I guarantee. I think they're the favourites to win it all next season. Because the amount of money I think Pep's going to spend... And the way that team will be motivated, they're going to be a problem still. Especially now they don't have this Champions League span. So I think they're going to go all out. Kevin De Bruyne, tied Thierry Henry's assist record in the Premier League. 20 assists. That brother is quality. If it wasn't for the fact that Liverpool hadn't won a title in so long, 
they would have had to give player of the season to KDB, man, because he's just been unreal, bruv. Unreal. But you just have to give it to a Liverpool player at this point. Jordan Henderson won, I think it was LMA player of the year. What He won a player of the year award, but that award goes towards what you do outside of football. So I don't really understand why he won it, because if we're talking outside of football and on the pitch, surely it should be no one other than Marcus Rashford. The fact that he pressured, and I repeat, pressured the Prime Minister to donate money to um, not even donate money to allocate money to feed K during the summer holiday. If that if that ain't the greatest out of outside of sport achievement that a footballer has made this season, then boy, I don't know in it. In the end, Jordan Henderson did win it. I just felt like they wanted to give it to a Liverpool player, but whatever. If I say that, they're gonna say I'm hating. As for PFA Player of the Year, the Real Player of the Year award, it should be realistic. It should be KDB, but like I said, the type of season Liverpool have had. You have to give it to a Liverpool player. So I'll probably give it to Mane. I feel like out of their front three, he's the most... He's the main... For me, he's the main guy. Firmino is just the glue guy. He puts everything together. Without Firmino, they won't be able to play the way they're playing, innit? I know he gets a lot of stick because he doesn't score a lot of goals. He only scored his first goal at Anfield um, against Chelsea when they won last game. But the way he plays enables Salah and Mane to do what they do. So that's why I feel like he's the glue guy. He essentially sacrificed his soul for the team. He's playing in that, I like to call it the Benzema role. Because Benzema, when Ronaldo was at Real Madrid, yeah, Benzema sacrificed himself so Ronaldo could be as great as he is. That's what I believe anyway. Because if he was to be more selfish, Benzema's resume would be looking ridiculous. His goal record would be looking mad. But still, like, he sacrificed himself so that Ronaldo could flourish. That's what I feel like Firmino's been doing. So that for Salah Omani. As I said, I feel like the most important piece in that front three is Sadio Omani for me. He's just that guy, man. Obviously, Salah will score more goals, but I, the eye test just tells me Omani, man. When I watch him, his creativity, the fact that he chips in with goals, he's got a bit of magic on him as well. Like, he's just my guy, innit? That's that's what I feel anyway. So, for me, that would be my PFA player of the season, Sadio Omani. And the last couple of games of the year... Of the season, Burnley losing at home 2-1 to Brighton. That game literally meant nothing. Both teams were safe. Sean Dyche has done it again. What can I say? What a guy Sean Dyche is, bruv. He just 4-4-2. Wood, Barnes, <laughs> Hendrick, Ben Me, <laughs> Nick Pop. Let me let me let me show some love to Nick Pop because that that guy should be England's number one. He needs to be England's number one because he's just a quality, quality goalkeeper. Great shot stopper. How many clean sheets did he have this season? 15 clean sheets this season for Nick Pope. Solid, solid. Especially considering he's a mid-table goalkeeper. I believe he should be England's number one because Jordan Pickford, that guy is awful. Listen, I've given David De Gea a lot of stick last couple last couple games, especially especially in that FA Cup semi-final defeat against Chelsea. But Nick po um, Jordan Pickford, that guy is just awful, bruv. The amount of times I've seen this brother get... Packed in at his near post. Fumble balls. Pause. Big pause. Fumbled shots. Everything. He's just atrocious, man. Nick Pope needs to be England's number one. And I'll campaign for that. I'm at the forefront for the Nick Pope for England number one campaign. Trust me. Two decent, decent seasons for both of those teams. And yeah, I think that's every fixture that I've covered on the final day of the season. So yeah, it's been a very, very eventful Premier League seasons. We've season. 
We've had some highs, we've had some lows, we've had some great games as always, had some nil nils as always. So yeah, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, Jamie Vardy picks up the golden boot, the oldest player to win the golden boot since Didier Drogba, age 33 years old. So big up Jamie Vardy, he's still going. I can see him going for at least three, four, couple more years. And with every season, we have some retirements and some players leaving the league. First of all, David Silva. One of the greatest players to grace the Premier League, hands down. Arguably, possibly the greatest player Man City have had. And listen, I'm not going back to the 50s and 60s. I'm talking about, like, Premier League era. David Silva, different quality, man. He's just a magician on the ball. Like, there was a lot of criticism when he came into the league. Will he be able to handle the physicality? Listen, I can't lie. That physicality argument in the Premier League, yeah, might be in the mud still. Because how many nimble footballers with slim body frames have come in and tore up the league. Like, it's been countless at this point. But yeah, David Silva, one of the all-time greats, man. I'll never forget, man, the best the best display, maybe not even his best display, but one of the best assists I've seen him produce in the Premier League, and this is how you know I'm keeping it real, was when we lost 6-1 to Man City, and he played that on the volleyball in between Ferdinand and Vidic to slip through Edin Dzeko, and he was one-on-one, -on -one, and obviously he slotted it home. Listen, if you haven't seen that goal, please go and Google the assist because I was just in awe when I saw it. Like, we, I think that was to make it 4-0 at the time, bruv. I just put my hands on my head. I said, boy, this guy is just different, bruv. You know, he's just built different. So, yeah, big up David Silva, one of the all-time greats, a great servant of the Premier League. Premier League winner multiple times, FA Cup winner, League Cup winner, you name it, he's won it. So, yeah, big up David Silva. He'll definitely, definitely, surely be missed in the Premier League. And you know what the worst thing is? He could easily go another two years in the Prem, man. I can't even lie. He's got that quality. But he's just leaving while he's at the top. So I can't blame him, innit? Another Premier League player leaving. Leighton Baines announcing his retirement from Everton. The Everton left back. Everton legend. 420 appearances for the Toffees. 67 assists. 39 goals. Set-piece specialist, he could take free kicks, he can take penalties, he had a mean left foot, I'll tell you that, bruv, he had a whippers. Listen, Everton days when they had beat Peanut, Stephen Peanut and Leighton Baines on the left flank, Hey, Everton were a problem then days, you know, you didn't really want to go Goodison Park, fam. You didn't really want to go there, but yeah, them Everton teams were fun, not now, man, they're just, they're just disappointing right now. Although, with Ancelotti, anything is possible, innit? Obviously, they finished, like, 12th this season. The first time Ancelotti has finished his um, season as the manager in the bottom half in his 25-year managerial campaign. So, you know he won't be having that next season. So, yeah, Leighton Baines, David Silva, leaving the Premier League. Two great players, obviously, on different pedestals of great. I ain't comparing the two, innit? But they both served the Premier League well. So, yeah, big up them two. That is the end of the Premier League segment. And one more thing that I want to say, the transfer window is open up until the 6th of October, I believe. So, yeah, that's why we're starting to get transfer rumours coming in left and right. It's going to be an interesting transfer window. I don't know how much this COVID pandemic has affected transfer funds. We'll just have to wait and see what goes on. Yeah, the Premier League season returns on the 12th of September. So it's not really a long, long wait till next season, you know. There are still some teams in European competitions. So Chelsea... Although it's very unlikely because they're down 3-0 going into the second leg. If they advance to the Champions League final, 
they're gonna have like minimal rest because Champions League finals on the 28th of August, I believe. If United or Wolves qualify for the Europa League final, that's like the 25th of August. So you've you got a little rest, and also, of course, if Man City win the Champions League or get to the final at least, they'll also be playing on the 28th of August. So I think the Premier League have announced that for those teams, they will be given an extension. So they won't have to. Their season won't start the 12th of September, basically. But yeah, it is still a short turnaround. So hopefully players do get try to get enough rest because I don't want to come into next season and there's just hella injuries, man, because that won't be fun at all. But yeah, that is the Premier League 2019-2020 season. As I said, we've had ups, we've had downs, but at the end of the day, this is what it is. The greatest football league in the world, the greatest sports league in the world. And I'm just happy to be able to watch this week in, week out and to essentially cover it on this podcast so yeah this is another season wrapped up this is clutch pod as always i'm your host ab don't forget to follow us on twitter and insta at clutch underscore pod if you're still listening at this point much love for the support and we're gonna move on to the nba segment right now obviously nba's nba season is just about to restart so you're still going to be getting pods on the nba side of life just on the premier league side of life until the season returns but yeah moving on to the nba segment now I'm moving on to the NBA segment now. Build up to the season is well and truly on the way. We've had last couple days have been scrimmages. With the season is gonna begin this Thursday night with the Jazz taking on the Pelicans before the Battle of LA in Orlando between the Lakers and the Clippers. So yeah, we're just gonna round up what's been going on in the NBA bubble. I can't lie, yeah, it's been. Mad fun to watch. I can't lie. I've been watching so many different vlogs. JaVel McGee, big up him. He's got his own Lakers vlog. Taking us behind the scenes to what's going on. Troy Brown, Troy Brown Jr. of the Wizards got his vlog. Showing us what's going down. But I can't lie. The GOAT of the vlogs. Our own rookie out of Washington. Matisse Tybal. His vlog is probably the greatest vlog that I, I've ever watched. I can't even lie, bruv. Because the way he puts detail in it and edits it is just amazing, bruv. He's taking us behind the scenes. He's taking us to the practices. He's taking us to his hotel room in a bubble, what he goes through. When the man then went fishing with Tobias Harris, Kylo Quinn, showing us what's going on in practice. He's even showing us how they're discussing how they're going to address the um, Black Lives Matter movement, how they're going to show their support to, obviously, the disaster that is our, our fellow black people being literally killed at the hands of po police. So, yeah, all these things that he's showing us is giving us a real insight into what it's like to be an NBA basketball player. And, shit, at the end of the day, made me think I was late for practice one morning, fam. I woke up thinking, shit, like, where, where, where's my ball, bruv? But, yeah, no, big up Matisse Thibault. Big up all these other vloggers that are in the bubble right now showing us. Big up their reporters as well. I've been taking in so much content from ESPN and that seeing what is going on what's happening in this bubble because at the end of the day it's something that we and even they have never ever experienced before so it's something new hence why there's so much going on right now like they even had my guy Matisse on Good Morning America bro talking about the bubble like he's getting so clear because of this YouTube channel like it's crazy bro like before hardly anyone knew about Matisse Thibault and outside of Philly and maybe like the diehard NBA fans. Now I've got people on NBA Twitter saying he's their favourite player. He's their favourite rookie. So yeah, that's done a lot of um, 
awareness. He's added a lot of like awareness to not only himself but the franchise. He's representing our team. Obviously, it's my team as well of Philadelphia 76ers in a very positive light. They're seeing what we're about. I especially liked episode five when he was discussing him, Tobias Harris, and Kylo Quinn with the um, Sixers VP of um, social interactions, I believe. They were discussing how they're going to challenge, how they're going to uh, leave their imprint um, on society, how they're going to help support the Black Lives Matter movement, how they're going to try and empower us as a society and as a community through basketball. So they were brainstorming ideas. I think it was a great, great episode. Obviously, he couldn't um, release the whole of the discussion, but he said that if you want, if there's demand for it, he will. It was like a two-hour discussion. I personally think that he should because it, it's, it's just a great, great insight. So, yeah, big up him. Big up Tobias Harris as well. He's really been um, the leader of the 76ers ever since this lockdown. He's um, There have been reports how he's bringing the team together. He's setting up meetings. He's setting up lunches. He's set up a group chat with the players. He's really trying to put his foot down as the leader of this franchise. And that's what the Sixers need, I believe. So, yeah, if you haven't seen the vlogs, go on YouTube. Type in Matisse Thibault, M-A-T-I-S-S-E. Thibault, T-H-Y-B-U-L-L-E. And you'll be able to see all five... Man said seasons, <laughs> like it's Netflix. All five episodes of his vlog. Please take in his exceptional content. So, yeah, that's what's been going on in the NBA right now. Obviously... Players are getting accustomed to the life of the bubble. They've started to build routine, routines. Players have been going fishing regularly in the gaming lounge. You're seeing guys on Twitch streaming, playing Warzone. Like, it's really sounding like a vibe still. It's sounding, it's sounding kind of live. A lot of players have said it's like, it's a bit like summer camp in the way that like, you're all in the same place. Your one focus is to play basketball, but you've got all these outdoor activities. And what I want to say, big up Adam Silva. Big up um the league as well, because... The last time they done a test in the bubble, 346 players were tested and also staff and also coaches. There were zero players that tested positive for coronavirus. That is a very, very great result. So um, Anders Silva has also said he's cautiously optimistic that, th that this is going to work. So yeah, it's going really, really well so far. There have been a few incidents, but you would expect that with the, these type of situations... Earlier on in the bubble, Kings sent a Rashawn Holmes <laughs> or the DoorDash, which for my UK people is the equivalent of Uber Eats to his hotel and he got nabbed and he had to stay in quarantine for 10 days because he broke the um, he broke the law for um, ordering food inside the bubble. So he done his 10 day sentence in his hotel room. He's out now though. So yeah, big up him. But he said he ordered wings still. <laughs> So it's kind of mad that he had to do a 10-day sentence for Wings. So yeah, and also most um, recently, Clippers guard Lou Will, he had to leave the bubble for a um, family, personal issues. He had a family emergency. His grandfather, I believe, did pass away, so RIP to him. But apparently he was caught in a strip club called Magic City. But he said he was getting food. He said he was getting wings from there, innit? That's what he was saying. But on the gram... Because there was a picture, someone took a picture of him. Boy, he looked like he was trying to get his last dance. And I don't know, innit? So, yeah, he has been ordered to do a 10-day quarantine as well. He's been heavily criticised by guys like Kendrick Perkins. But Kendrick Perkins is always talking wild on the net. So, it don't really it don't really mean anything. But, yeah. um, So, those were the two main issues. Lou Williams doing that. And also, um, Rashawn Holmes ordering DoorDash. 
also a lot of players have not a lot of players a few players have left the bubble Montres Harrell had to leave the bubble for family issues as did Patrick Beverly so did Zion Williamson but he has since returned so yeah that's mainly what's happening I personally believe though not that they're lying I do believe that they did have family issues but I think it's one of them ones where because the season hasn't resumed properly it's just scrimmages I feel like they're just going to sort out their business now rather than when the bubble has actually, when the season has actually started. So right now, I'm not really, it's not really something alarming to me because they're just like sorting out their business, I believe. But I do believe once the season does start officially that you wouldn't really see a lot of players leaving, the, going in and out of the bubble. So yeah, that's what's happening in the NBA right now. Obviously, some players who did have corona have started to come back have started to enter the bubble. Russell Westbrook's come back. He's played two scrimmage games. Look really, really great. It's Russell Westbrook after all. Like that guy, yeah. He plays 110% every game. So it didn't even look like he had anything wrong with him. So yeah, Harrison Barnes. Um, James Harden has returned as well. He dropped a 30-piece in the scrimmage. There have been a few complaints. Well, Jimmy Butler had a noise complaint for practicing in his room, in his hotel room. He was bouncing the ball at like 3am in the morning. Typical Jimmy Butler, fam. That's what I love him, fam. Only Jimmy Butler will get nabbed for something like that, man. That's my guy. I can't lie. That's my dog for life. A few players that have opted out that I didn't announce on the last podcast. Obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie's opted out for the Nets. Bradley Bill obviously opted out for the Wizards, as has Davis Bertans. Dwight Howard has opted in for the Lakers. And he's played in a couple scrimmages. So that's a huge boost for the Lakers. Considering they'll be without Rajan Rondo and Avery Bradley. So they're two guards down. But they have brought Dion Waiters. I'm in the sixth man. Sixth man. Dion Waiters. Hey. If you know, you know. I can't lie. I've started to look at property on Waiters Island. With a view to invest. Because I might be all in man. Dion Waiters fam. Listen. He's had a troubled past. He's, um, we all know the Miami Heat incident on the plane. We all know like all the negative stuff that's happened with him. But to see him ball, boy, it's just a joy to watch. I know he takes heavily, heavily some very low percentage shots. But listen, shoot is shoot. He was the guy that famously said he'll rather shoot 0 for 30 than 0 for 9. Because if he shoots 0 for 9, it will show that he stopped shooting. Listen. That quote, yeah, you could use that in all facets of life, bruv. I might have to frame it. I might just have to fra frame that Dion Waiters quote, I promise you. But yeah, big up Dion Waiters. JR Smith as well. Team Swish, we back in the league, baby, since 2018. He's been balling last night for the Lakers. When they played the Wizards, he dropped a 20-piece hit free, so he's starting to look nice. Hopefully, he can translate that into the scrimmages. At, not the scrimmages, sorry. Hopefully, he can translate that into the... I'm seeding games and the playoffs because Lord knows it will be vital for them if they want to get that championship. That's the Lakers. Lakers report. Dion Waiters. JR Smith doing their thing. As for the Nets, because they had so many players opting out, they did sign Jay Crossover. He back in the league as well. His last NBA game, he dropped 50. Well, as a player of the of the Phoenix Suns. So, yeah, big up, big up Jamal Crawford for being back in the league, albeit it might be momentarily. More information about the bubble. One big thing I want to talk about, the Sixers. So we've had a big, big lineup change in the fact that Ben Simmons is being moved to power forward. Shake Milton is going to come into starting up. So we're going to run a starting five off. Shake Milton, Jay Rich, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Personally, as a Philly fan, I like it because it gives us that shooting that we need in Shake Milton. He's a very, very good shooter. 
and he can handle the ball as well. We've got another ball handler for Ben Simmons because that's one of the problems we've had in the last couple of years. We haven't really had a secondary ball handler as such. So yeah, Shake Milton the ball. He's good in the pick and rolls as well. We're one, we're one of the teams that run the least pick and roll offenses in the league. So that really needs to change because we've got a guy in Ben Simmons who's 6'10", very athletic, intimidating on the fast break. So we need to start to run those pick and rolls. So yeah, Brett Brown has said though, before the scrimmage has started, Ben Simmons, he has seen a meteoric rise in his three-point shooting abilities in practice. But... As a Sixers fan, we've been hearing this for three years. So I just really took that as a pinch of salt. But then I started to really, really believe as the report started intensifying. I was thinking, is he going to start shooting? Is he going to start shooting? Especially in this crowd, well, especially in this climate where there are no fans in the arena. So essentially the pressure might be off because you know those Philly fans get on his back when it comes to shooting. Trust me, Philly fans tough. So yeah, first scrimmage game against the Grizzlies. He took two threes, he made one. I was really impressed with that. Two corner threes as well. It looks automatic. I can't lie. It really, really did automatic. Look, the jumper looks smooth for Ben Simmons anyway. So, yeah, I'm really impressed with that. Second scrimmage, he didn't really take none. But I don't really think that's alarm bells ringing. Our last scrimmage is tonight against the Dallas Mavericks. So, we're going to wait and see if he does attempt any three-pointers. So, yeah, as a Sixers fan... I really like this lineup change. Obviously, Al Horford is moving to the bench. This has been announced since before the season was suspended. And at the end of the day, Al Horford is an ultimate professional. He will take it on the chin. Obviously, the fact that we're paying him four years, 109, no, four years, $92 million for him to do that is not ideal. But at the end of the day, if it makes the team better, we have to, we have to pursue it. This has really boosted my hopes for a Sixers championship. It's still going to be tough. But it gives out that spacing that we essentially need. Furkan Korkmaz coming off the bench as well. He's our best three-point shooter. We all know he needs to work on his defense. But he's he's owned up to that. He said that he's been speaking to his fellow teammate. Asking them how he can be a better defender. And that's, that's the number one rule to change. Acknowledgement. So he knows he needs to be a better defender. He knows that in order to him, for him to stay on the floor in late game situations, he needs to be able to defend better. So the fact that he knows that is very, very impressive to me. The next step is him trying to improve his defense because that is essential, especially in the playoffs. We just have to wait and see how this team gets on. We did lose our second scrimmage, but I'm not really looking into scrimmages like that because. Um, at the end of the day, it's just a scrimmage, isn't it? And Ben Simmons did sit out most of the second half, despite the fact we blew a 24-point lead. But when Ben Simmons was on the floor, he looked really aggressive, driving to the rim as usual. He threw an incredible alley-oop in our first scrimmage game to Tobias Harris. No-look alley-oop. Listen, my mouth was just open. I couldn't believe it. Like, he has that arrogance, but it's that good type of arrogance that, listen... I'm probably one of the best players on the floor right now type of arrogance. So I'm going to prove to you that I am one of the best players on the floor. And that's that type of arrogance that I really, really like and I would like to see from him. So, yeah, I'm really excited as to see how it, how the season is going to unfold as a, Sis, as a Sixers fan. And, yeah, I feel like the future is really bright. So, yeah, one player I want to speak about, though, on this pod quickly is Bo Bo. Because we all know he was an incident sensation ahead of the 2019 draft, but he did end up falling all the way into the second round. A lot of GMs were unsure about his um, condition, given the fact that he suffered a nasty foot injury while playing at the University of Oregon. So yeah, the Denver Nuggets took a 
took a try on him and so far in scrimmages he's been looking really really good his jumpers looking smooth he's looking elite he's looking great from the three-point line he's rim protecting he's running the floor like whoa if this guy ends up looking like what he's looking like in scrimmages phew, the nuggets might have un unwrapped a real gem that could just change their franchise for a very long time so yeah they did run a crazy lineup Jokic at the point they had jeremy grant they had ball bar small forward they had um mason Plumley at center and they had Paul Millsap at power forward. One of the tallest lineups in NBA history. Jokic at 7 foot. Jeremy Grant at 6'8". Bobo at 7'2", 7'3". Paul Millsap, he's at what, 6'8". And then Mason Plumley. At the end of the day though, I don't think it's anything. It's just something that um coach Mike Malone was just testing out. You know because it's a scrimmage, you can get away. He just said that, Jokic's wrong point in it. Like, just do your thing. It's not like something that he's going to unleash in game six of a Western Conference Finals when they're down five with three minutes late on the clock. Like, it's, it's nothing. Like, it's just it's just a practice run-in to see how it works out. But it's very, very interesting lineup. Obviously, NBA to explode is saying, imagine they took on the Rockets with their small ball and then Daryl Morey responded. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just something, something interesting to see that Denver Nuggets team going up against the Rockets. I think right now, that's all we got in the NBA bubble. As I said, please try and check out Matisse Thibault's blog. It's very, very interesting. Check out NBA Bubble Live on Twitter as well. Check out Clutch Pod on the gram and on Twitter also at Clutch underscore pod. And we'll be bringing out more basketball pods, NBA pods on the seeding games and also the playoffs when they do begin. And listening at this point, much love. Don't forget to follow us on the Twitter at Clutch underscore pod and on Insta at Clutch underscore pod. And one more thing, we're just back.